Welcome to the Painesville Assembly of God podcast. We're always encouraged to know God is working through this ministry to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email at info at Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Well, we are in a series and we're going to dive into God's word this morning. As we're in a series we've been calling Dear Church. And uh, what we're looking at are letters that have been written to uh, seven churches throughout Asia Minor. And Asia Minor is an area that encompasses modern-day Turkey and that whole area there. And they were a part of the Roman province, uh, a Roman province, and there were these key cities. And in these key cities were churches. And in Revelation, uh, John, the Apostle John, he is exiled to the island of Patmos after being boiled in oil and, uh, and persecuted, but he did not die. And while he is there, he has a vision, a vision of Jesus Christ who has come and is speaking a message. Many of Revelation has to do with a lot of end times. However, he begins by addressing these seven churches. And so we've been looking at the letters that were written specifically to these seven churches and what does it have to do with us today. Well, let me start with a story. Have you ever heard of the guy who could not decide during the Civil War which side he wanted to fight for? So he put on the coat of the North and he put on the pants of the South and guess what happened? He got shot at from both sides. Today we're going to talk about compromise because that's what happens when we compromise and when we try to live with our feet in two worlds. When we try to live in two worlds, what happens is we find that it's a miserable place to be. And sadly, there are many in the church today who struggle with compromise. I'm just going to be honest and upfront with you today that today is not an easy message to preach. I wrestled this week as I was writing and as I was praying through and even this morning in prayer as I got up early to pray and seek the Lord, I I wrestled with this message today because it's not an easy message to preach, but it's a message that really deals with compromise. The great British preacher G. Campbell Morgan once said, it's a remarkable thing that the church of Christ persecuted has been the church of Christ pure. On the other hand, and we talked about the church of Christ persecuted last week with the church of Smyrna, the other hand, the church of Christ patronized, that is, who have been given an easy pass, you know, everything's been given, everything goes well, has been the church of Christ impure. The Bible gives us this example here in Revelation chapter 2, and that's where we're at. If you've got a copy of God's Word, turn to Revelation chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at the church of Pergamos. The church of Pergamos located in Pergamum, the capital of Asia Minor. This particular city was known for its rampant idolatry. Idolatry, the worship of idols. Pergamum was a, a city that housed the altar of Zeus and was the center of Caesar worship. Idolatry, wickedness, sexual immorality were commonplace. The sin of Pergamum was its compromise, a sort of a have your cake and eat it too kind of philosophy. So in this series, as we've been looking again, we're looking at what the Lord is going to speak to us through this letter to the church in Pergamum today the church of Pergamos today, Pergamum. So we've been examining, again, each of these messages. The first church we looked at was Ephesus. And in Ephesus, it was a church that looked healthy by all accounts. They were a church, as we talked about, who, 
who served faithfully, who discerned doctrinally, who endured difficulty, but in serving, discerning, and enduring something that had, had, had taken their focus, and that became the focus rather than Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, but you I have one thing against you, Jesus said, you have forsaken your first love. And Jesus called them to repent and to return to their first love relationship. Last week was the church of Smyrna. And this church, it was, it was a church in which there was no correction that was needed. They were a persecuted church. They had suffered much. They were poor and destitute. Yet Jesus said, I know that you, you think you are poor, but you are rich. You are rich in my eyes. And as they were in this season of suffering, Christ came to them and said, I am the first and the last. I am the alpha and I am the omega. I am the one who died and was raised to life again. And what we learn from that is, is that when we are suffering the difficulty and the pressures of this world, the world does not have the last word. The enemy does not have the last word. Jesus Christ has the last word. He has the last word. Death is not the last word when we have our faith in Jesus. And so we must remain faithful and hold on to Christ in the midst of suffering, and he will give us the victory. And today we look at another church, Pergamum, which was located 50 miles north of Smyrna in modern-day Turkey. And so what we're doing is, is we started in Ephesus, and then we're going up here to Smyrna, and then 50 miles north as we continue around this kind of northward circle, 50 miles north, is this area of Pergamum. And it's kind of the round robin. So let's take a look here. Revelation chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 12. To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city, and again, where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. How many know that's never a good thing? I have a few things again. You have, you, you have people there who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and committing sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and fight against you with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches." To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. What I want to begin with is the description of Jesus, because at the opening of this letter, he gives a description of himself, and he's done this with the other letters that he has written. He opens and he gives a description of who he is. Last week with Smyrna, we said the first and the last, the one who died and raised to life again. And here, he he gives an interesting description of having a sharp double-edged sword. If we were to flip back to Revelation chapter 1, when when Jesus is described as the one appearing to John, we also find in verse 16 that it says, In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. There's a connection between verse 12 of chapter 2 and verse 16 of chapter 1, and the words of him who has a sharp a two-edged sword. And why has Jesus chosen to reveal himself to the church in Pergamum this way? Well, the church in Pergamum needed a, a two-edged, they had a two-edged need that the Lord must address. There was a two-edged need that Jesus had to address with the sword of his mouth. In other words, his words. 
How many know that the Word of God, the Word of God is, is what? It's called the sword. The sword of the Spirit is what? The Word of God. The Word of God. So what we're talking about are the words of Jesus are like a two-edged sword. And the sword represents two sides. The two sides of Pergamum. Pergamum had two sides. This particular church had two sides to it. The first is positive, And it is the stance of the believers. The stance of the church. Following the description, Jesus moves about himself to then talking about this body of believers. And what Jesus understands is, he says, listen, I know how difficult it is in the place that you live. I know the culture that you live, the city that you live. I know that it is not an easy place to be a believer. How many of you can say that about America? Other parts of the world. This is a, a place, literally, that was, that was described as the place where Satan has his throne. Throne was kind of a play upon the fact that it was a capital city in the Roman province of Asia and had been for 400 years. And although it was not as large as Ephesus or Smyrna, it was extremely important because of its place politically within this particular province. The city was known for several things. We know that it was known for idol worship. It was known for the honor of Roman gods and goddesses, in particular the great altar to Zeus, which literally jutted out like a, a, over like a cliff over the mountain, like a, like a throne. And when you would approach the city, you would literally see this altar that was kind of out over the mountain, kind of hanging on a cliff. They worshipped the, uh, not only the altar of Zeus, but they were also known uh, for they worshipped and were home to the god of healing, uh, Asclepius. Or, I don't know how you say that, Asclepius, I don't know, something like that. Asclepius, we'll just say it that way, all right? Does that work? All right, I don't know, my, my Greek is not great. It's all Greek to me. But, but there were priests and priestesses, and there was a symbol of a false god, and literally the symbol of this false god was a serpent. And the serpent was on flags, and it was on banners, and there was literally a temple there in which people who were in need of healing would come to this temple, and they would hope to be in the surrounding place of this temple that they might get an aura of healing. They might get some kind of a, some kind of a healing that was there in hopes that they might be healed. Medallions and flags with the serpent just pasted all over the city. And they were also known for their emperor worship. Again, in honor of the Roman emperor Caesar Augustus, like all Roman rulers, the people there were commanded to worship these Roman leaders, these Caesars, as if they were God. That's the way they would do it. And it caused great persecution for any believers throughout Rome, but especially here in the city of Pergamum, where it says that Satan had his throne. When it came to these believers, they lived in a culture that was not open to Christ. In fact, it was a battleground spiritually. And it was here that many in this church had been saved out of idolatry and had been saved out of immorality. And Jesus sees the state of the culture. He sees the, the state of the, the city in which they live. And he declares this about them, but you remain true to my name. In other words, you don't take on the name of any of these other gods or goddesses. You don't take on Roman worship. You have remained true to my name. You are believers who have remained true to me. How many of you know that's not easy to do in a world of persecution? In a world that is anti-Jesus Christ, how many of you know that is not an easy thing to do to take your stand? 
But Jesus in the one side of the sword is a sword of encouragement. He is encouraging these believers. I know where you live. I know the city. I know the culture. I know how difficult it is. Twice he says it's the place where Satan has his throne or where Satan lives. How many of you know that is not a good place to be if you're a believer? And yet you have held to my name. You have not you have not declared that you are not going to serve me. In fact, he gives a kind of a, uh, an example here. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was put to death in your city, again, where Satan lives. This is a sort of encouragement for the church, taking its stand and not renouncing their faith in Jesus, even when they are facing persecution. These words are designed to remind the church that Jesus sees the faithfulness that they have displayed. However, again, Jesus says that the city where they live is the place where Satan has his throne and where Satan lives. And for that reason, it was a place of great spiritual warfare and it was a place of stronghold. And although these believers remain true to Jesus as their king and their God, the enemy, Satan, had begun to work in other areas of their life. How many of you know Satan loves to work in other areas of our life. If he can't come at us on a full front, deny your faith, he will try to slip in the back door in other ways. And unfortunately, that's what's happening here because 1 Peter 5, 8 reminds us to be alert and of sober mind, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Friends, I want you to know that in a culture today that doesn't readily accept Jesus Christ as the Lord or the Bible as God's word, there is a trick, there is an enemy who is tricky, who is deceitful, who is looking to trip you up, who is looking to get you to deny your faith. Satan wants to devour you. Jesus calls him a thief who comes to steal, to kill, and destroy It's been said that conversion makes our hearts a battlefield. There's a battle going on, and there's a battle going on for the believers here in Pergamum, and that's why Jesus recognizes the battle. And so he begins by the words of his mouth and part of the sword being words of encouragement. But the other side of the sword is about to come out as he says to them, but I have this against you. Here it is. You have taken your stand. For that I see in the midst of this city, I know in which you live that it's not easy. And there is a battle going on. And for that, I want to encourage you. However, however, I need you to be aware that there is another problem that is going on in your midst that you need to deal with. There's another problem in the church. There's a problem in the church. And so on the second side of the the sword, he begins to move, I have this against you, and what he's about to address is an area of compromise, the compromise of the church. Verse 14, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Now, to fully understand the problem, what does this mean? Who is Balaam? Who is Balak? Who are these Nicolaitans? What is going on? To fully understand that, we need to first look at Balaam and Balak, and that means we've got to go back to the Old Testament, and we've got to go all the way back to the book of Numbers. Anybody like Numbers? (laughs) The book of Numbers is one of those books in the Old Testament when you are reading through the entire Bible that at times has some stories that are intriguing and has some other things that are repeating. I don't know if you know that about numbers. 
There's some great stories, but there are some other things where you get kind of bogged down with all the numbers that they keep telling about. This tribe is of this, and this tribe is, is numbered this, and it's like a big census that is taken of Israel as they came out of Egypt before they went into the promised land. But it also has some nuggets and some bits and pieces of history that are really important for us to grab. And so to understand who Balaam is and who Balak is, we've got to go all the way back to Numbers, and we're going to take a look at Numbers chapter 22. And in Numbers chapter 22, I'm just going to summarize a few things for you. The Israelites had been led by God through the wilderness, and they had camped on the plains of Moab. And the plains of Moab were right by the Jordan River, and on the other side of the Jordan River was a big, was a big city by the name of Jericho. How many have heard of Jericho before? We hear about Joshua and the walls. This is pre-Joshua and the walls. But the idea is, is the Israelites had been led and literally they were right there on the border of getting into the promised land, right there on the border of being able to obtain the promises of God. They were right there on the plains. And what happened is the king of Moab, a leader by the name of Balak, saw this great number. And by this time they had multiplied. The Israelite nation was huge. And he saw them coming into his territory and he got nervous. How many know And there's a lot of people starting coming into your area? You're getting a little nervous. And he got a little nervous, and he said, I don't know that we can battle them. I don't know if we can take them down. We need to do something else. And so what does he do? The scriptures tell us that he begins to find this guy who is considered to be a prophet. Now, I want you to know that he names the Lord God uh, Jehovah, and he actually calls him by his name. So he knows God, but he is not a true prophet of God. In fact, he uses a lot of divination, and he was known to curse people, and they would be cursed, or to bless people, and they would be blessed. But he was not using, he was not using the name of God. He was not using God. He was actually using divination. How many of you know that there is divination today? What I might mean by that, if you don't know what divination means, it means that there is evil spirits. There is a power of the enemy as we approach a time of year where, uh, again, some of this spooky and some of this other stuff, you have to know that's not just the stuff of Hollywood. There is a very real spiritual world that we don't see. The demonic is very, very present in our world today. The demonic is hugely present. You've got to be careful because you can, you can think that something is just a lot of Hollywood and kind of just kind of blow it off. But I'm telling you, there is a very real spiritual realm. And this guy, Balaam, was somebody who knew how to tap into that and knew how to curse people and knew how to bring blessings. If you go to places like Haiti, you can understand that witchcraft, or you go to Africa, witchcraft is very real. Our missionaries will tell you that spiritual warfare is very real and that witchcraft is very real. There is power there. And so what happens is, is this guy Balak, who is the king of Moab, goes to this guy Balaam and he says, there's this people group that is coming. They are, they are, they're, they're coming in and I'm afraid they're going to devour our land. I want you to put a curse on them and weaken them so that we can attack them and destroy them. That's what's going on. And that, that's kind of what we see. And what we need to understand about Balaam here is that, 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 that this guy, Balaam, here he is in the New Testament, and several references are made about him. And there's three lessons we can learn from Balaam, and we're going to proceed through the story and what happens. But the first one is the way of Balaam. 2 Peter 2.15 says, They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved the wages of wickedness. Balaam 
refers to what he did. The way of Balaam refers to what Balaam did. But what did Balaam do? He was offered money to curse God's people. And here's how he responded. At first, he responds very well. It says this in Numbers chapter 22, starting in verse 10. Balaam said to God, Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, sent me this message. A people that have come out of Egypt covers the face of the land. Now come and put a curse on them for me. Perhaps I will be able to fight them and drive them away. But God said to Balaam, don't go with them. You must not put a curse on those people because they are blessed. So the next morning, Balaam got up and said to the Balak's officials, Balaam, Balak, it keeps getting mixed up, go back to your own country for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. So at this point, it seems as if Balaam is following God. That he hears from God that as he's trying to tap into this divination, he taps into God. He recognizes that he is Jehovah God. And he says, no, 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 no. These people you will not curse. These people are blessed. Don't go with them. And so he sends them away. Couldn't curse who God had blessed. But Balak is persistent. So he sends another delegation. And these officials are even more prominent than the other officials. And they offer even more money. Now, how many of you know that has some power, doesn't it? This is what it says in verse 15 to 19. And Balak sent other officials more numerous and more distinguished than the first. They came to Balaam and said, this is what Balak, son of Zippor, uh, says, do not let anything keep you from coming to me because I will reward you handsomely and do whatever you say. Come and put a curse on these people for me. But Balaam answered, even if Balak gave me all the silver and gold in his palace, I could not do anything great or small to go beyond the command of the Lord my God. I, mean, I just want to pause there for a moment. I'm going to get through the rest. You need to understand this. When you are the people of God, when you have put your faith and your trust in God, nothing can happen to you outside of God's control. There are people who might want to take you down. There are people who might want to put a curse on you. There are people that don't like you. This is a church and this Smyrna, churches where people had persecuted them. But you've got to understand something here. Even the enemy who would want to curse you does not have power outside of what God gives permission for. You look at the book of Job. It's God that said, have you considered my servant Job? Figure that out in your theology. Because God will sometimes allow us to be tested, will allow us to experience things, but He has allowed it. Nothing, God's purpose and plan for your life cannot be thwarted by, out, by outside people. I want you to know that. By outside people, what outside people want to do, what the enemy wants to do for you, God says, no, 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 no. It's not outside of what I will allow if God says you are blessed, it will be blessed. The problem is not outside people. I want you to understand as we progress through this, the problem with the spiritual warfare and the reason that we're not receiving the promises of God and we're not, we're not moving forward in God is because it's not an outside problem, it's an inside problem. What we're going to see here is no matter what they tried to do, Balaam couldn't put a curse on them. No matter how much he's going to try. But the enemy is cunning. And he has other ways that will open us up to missing out on what God wants in our life. All right? I just want to, I want to prep this for a moment. I, I want you to see that. I cannot do anything great or small to go beyond the command of the Lord my God. But here's the way of Balaam. 
And here's the way of us sometimes. Now, spend the night here so that I can find out what else the Lord will tell me. Why would he say that? If he already knows what God said, why is he telling them to spend the night? What is the way of Balaam? What is Balaam trying to do? What does he think he's going to get from God? Well, he's, he's got something else going on inside of his heart. He likes the idea of a little bit of money. He likes the idea of these higher officials coming and wanting him. And if he does this, he'll be prominent and he'll receive more. And there's some greed and there's some pride inside of his heart that this is feeding. And so because of that, he's saying, oh, come on, God. Can't you let me go with them? I mean, can I at least go with them? You know, I, I don't know. Maybe I can at least go with them. And, and so he, he detains them for the night and he seeks permission for the Lord for something that he already knows God has said no to. Oh, Lord, I really want to date this person. Can I, Lord? Please? No. Please, please, please? No. No. Come on, maybe just, just one date. Right? Just one date. I mean, I know they're not a believer you know, I know that unequally yoke thing, but I mean, maybe I can lead them to you. Please, Jesus. How many have bargained with God for things? You know, I want that job. God says, no, that's not the right job for you, but I really want that job. Please, please, please. I really want it. Please, please, please. This is the way of Balaam. The way of Balaam is to bargain with God with something that you already know God has said no. And well, that's what he does. And so here he is after seeking permission. God says, all right, all right, all right. After your insistence, you know what? Go. But God wasn't happy with him. And that's referred to by Peter as the way of Balaam. We put pressure on God while rationalizing what it is we want to do with our compromise. God permits us to have our own way. But Proverbs 14, 12 says that in the end, it's the way of death. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it's the way of death. And as they proceed along, the Lord sends an angel, and this angel has a sword in his hand, and he's literally standing in the way, and Balaam is riding his donkey, and Balaam is spiritually blind. You know why he's spiritually blind? Because he is dead set on doing something that God said no to. And when you start to set your heart in a direction that you already know is not in the will of God, you will become spiritually blind to those dangers that are in your path. And there's a danger in his path, and he doesn't see it. The Lord has sent a danger to block his path, and he doesn't see it. The problem is his donkey does. And so his donkey starts steering it to the side of the road. And he goes, why won't you move, you stubborn donkey? He starts beating the donkey, move. And so the donkey moves a little further, and the angel comes up again. And the donkey pulls to the side, and this time rubs his leg up against a, a barrier. And he's like, ah, my foot, what are you doing? Cursing the donkey and beating the donkey three times. This is a story where God finally opens the mouth of the donkey to talk. And you go, how can that be? Read C.S. Lewis. Wonder what the world was like before the curse of sin. God looses the lips of the donkey and the donkey begins to speak and says, what have I ever done to you? Man, I have taken you everywhere. What, what have I ever done? Don't you see what I see? And all of a sudden, this is what it says in, in verse 31. The Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with the sword drawn, so he bowed down low and fell face down. The angel of the Lord asked him, Why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I have come to oppose you. Look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this. This is the key. 
I have come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. The donkey saw me and turned away these three times, and if it not, I would have certainly killed you by now. But I would have spared it. Balaam said to the angel, Lord, I've sinned. I did not realize you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now, if you're displeased, I'll go back. In other words, I'm going my own way. But if you're displeased, I'm going to turn back. (laughs) Why? Because the way you're going is a reckless one. And the way of Balaam is a reckless one. When we know what we shouldn't be doing, when we know what God's word says, no, but we persist anyway, it is a reckless one. It makes us spiritually blind, and we don't see that God is actually opposing us. Now, I'm not saying this for every suffering. I'm not saying this for every trial. I'm not saying this for every difficulty. But let me say this. Examine your life because if you keep running into roadblocks, perhaps you're going in a direction that God says, I don't want you to go down that road. I have said, no, why are you persisting in disobedience to me? The path you are on is a reckless one. Your heart is set on compromise and destruction, and I am not in it, and I will not bless it. The way of Balaam is to continue to persist down a road that God has said no, but you keep going. And I'm warning you today, as we're warned in the scripture, that that is the way of destruction. And the enemy will oppose you. The Bible says this, no temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to bear. But with every temptation will also make a way of escape that you'll be able to bear it. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Why do, I, why do I put that? Because there are times when we are tempted to compromise and tempted to sin, and in His mercy, God provides a way of escape. The question is, will you take the way of escape, or will you continue to persist to do the very thing you know you shouldn't do? God loves you, and He will provide ways of escape. He will provide barriers in your path. But if you persist in your own way, in your own plan, you are headed for the way of Balaam. The second lesson we learn is not only the way of Balaam, but the error of Balaam. Jude, verse 11, it's only one chapter. Jude, verse 11 says, Woe to them, they have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. What is the error of Balaam? The word error in the Greek means delusion, deceptions, fraudulence, to wander. When Balaam was insisting on his own way, it opened him up to deception and error. And Paul warned us from wandering from the truth. 2 Thessalonians 2, 10 and 11, he writes this, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that is God's way, as to be saved, for this reason God will send upon them a deluding influence so they will believe what is false, and that is to follow an erroneous line of reasoning. The problem is, like Balaam, when we begin to persist in our own way, we become blinded spiritually. We become blinded spiritually. Romans chapter 1 says that when they deny the truth of God, when they deny the truth and exchange the truth of God for a lie, that God gave them over to their lusts and their evil passions. That is a scary thing to think about. That if we persist too far and we continue to insist on going our own way, that God will say okay and give us over to those lusts and to that error. That is the error 
of Balaam. And that is something to be warned about and to watch because when you continue to persist, at some point God may say, okay, you want to do it your way? See how that works out for you. How many have ever gone your own way and you thank God for His grace and mercy after the fact? Right? We don't have to experience that. We don't have to have those problems. We don't have to experience the troubles that come from that. There is a different way. But the error comes in in that we follow our own line of reasoning. We follow the reasoning of this world. And here it is. Balaam wanted a huge payoff. There is a big payoff. Come on, God. God said, no, that's not the payoff you want. That's going to be a payoff of trouble. That's not my plan. Perhaps he got thinking this way. If God allows me to go with them, maybe then I can convince him to let me curse them. He won't let me hear, but maybe if these guys spend the night and I, I pray, then I can convince God, hey, can I at least go? Maybe when I go, maybe when I get there, God will change his mind. God will see, hey, this is okay. Hey, Balaam's going to be blessed. Let's do this. That's what happens. Our thinking becomes twisted, and we think that God's going to bless something that, that is sin. God will never bless sin. We sang this morning, you are holy, you are holy, you are holy, Lord. God is holy. I know that Jesus Christ died for our sins. I know that he loves us unconditionally. I know that we are saved by grace, by the mercy of God, that salvation is a gift of grace, that it's not by works that any man should boast. But let me remind you that God is also holy, and he is not going to excuse away and look past sin. That's erroneous thinking, and unfortunately, that has become the thinking that sometimes offers cheap grace. Where we say, I'm a believer, I stand in Christ's name, I'm a Christian, I will declare it. I will put it on my bumper sticker, I will put it on my Facebook page, I will post all kinds of things on one end, but on the other end, I'm not doing what God has said to do, and I'm allowing sin to continue in my life. I'm not talking about just tripping up and I fell and that, that happened that little bit. I'm talking about persistence in sin, where what you know to do, you don't do, but you continue to persist and you say, well, God's great. Well, God's forgiveness. Well, God will love me anyway. Well, Jesus, I'll just ask for forgiveness later. That is a dangerous place to live. And that is the error of Balaam. Thirdly, the teaching of Balaam, and that's what it says here in Revelation chapter 2. People in your midst hold to the teaching of Balaam. And oh, you got to get, this is really good. All right, some of you falling asleep, wake up. All right. All right, here we go. Wake up, all right? Stretch if you have to, all right? Punch your neighbor if they're falling asleep, if they're snoring. Wake him up, because here it is. What, what is he talking about? We move through the story in Numbers, and he continues on. God says, go, but you're only going to say what I tell you to say. And at this point, he's got Balaam's attention, all right? Balaam's realizing, man, there's an angel with a sword. All right, Lord, whatever you say, that's what I'm going to do. And so he meets Balak, the king of Moab. In Numbers chapter 23, Balaam takes him to a high place overlooking the Israelites who were in the plain. And he says, all right, all right, curse them. <laughs> Here, they're going to get it now. Go ahead, Balaam. You curse them. And so Balaam starts offering sacrifices. He's trying to stir it up. And, 
and, and the Bible actually gets into it. But what he's trying to do here is divination. Okay, I'm not going to follow, but I'm going to try to offer these sacrifices. And, and, and he's trying to do it. And so he goes to curse them, and he can't curse them. He can only bless them. In fact, this happens, this happens three times. Where he's offering the second time, he's offering, he's, oh, what did you do? Why, Balaam's like, why did you, why did you do that? And, 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 and he goes, oh, well, I, can only, I told you, I can only say what God says to say. Try it again, try it again, try it again. I mean, oh, try it again, try it again, try it again. God bless me, I messed up this time, but bless me, because I'm still doing my own thing. Bless me again, let me try it again. Try it again. No, 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 no. Finally, <laughs> The third time, this is what we see, Numbers 24, 1 and 2. Now Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel. He did not resort to divination as at other times, but turned his face toward the wilderness. And when Balaam looked out and saw the Israelites in camp, tribe by tribe, the Spirit of God came on him. The Spirit of God came on him. And at this point, all of a sudden, Balaam is completely surrendered. The Spirit of God comes upon him, and he begins to bless the people of Israel over and over and over and over and over again. Let me tell you something. What God has not cursed, no man can curse. What God has not allowed, no man can come in and take it. Can't take your promises. Can't take what the Lord has promised you away from you. It can't happen. That's not the way. Over and over and over. Man, Balaam, here he is. And this reminds me, when we looked at Smyrna last week, the one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. See, when you're following the Lord, there are things that other people might want to take from you, but they can't take the victory that is in Christ Jesus, the first and the last, the alpha and the omega, the one who died and was raised to life again. Nothing can hold him back. There is nobody on the outside that can do that. Because Jesus has the last word. Listen, believers in Pergamum. Listen, I know that your city is described as a place where Satan has his throne, where Satan lives. But you need to understand this. You might be persecuted. You might be martyred like this guy, Antipas. But Jesus reminds us nothing happens outside of my control. I have the last word. I have the last word. You're under my protective enemy, covering the enemy cannot harm you. When you remain under my protective covering, covering. But here it takes shelter under the wings. This is what it says in Scripture all the time. Take shelter under the wing. Listen, the problem is, is we don't stay under the protective covering of God because we've got a cunning enemy. Follow me on this. This was not the last attack of Balak. Balak didn't give up and Balaam didn't give up, all right? As much as the Spirit of God had come on him in that moment, Balaam did not give up. He still wanted the money. Balak did not give up. But how did they do it? If they couldn't curse God's people, what could they do? Well, here's the teaching. It's a teaching shared by, shared with Balak by Balaam that found its way into the camp of Israel and killed 23,000 people. 23,000 people. What was this teaching? What was this counsel to Balak? It was this. Go ahead. You know what? I can't curse them. But here's what I want you to do. I, I, I want you to corrupt them. I want you to get them to start sinning against their God. Because if you'll get them to sin against their God, then they'll face their God's punishment and wrath, and he'll do it. Listen, I can't curse them. We can't do it from the outside. But let me tell you how you can do it. you got to be a little sneaky. you got to be a little cunning. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to begin to tempt them. I want you to tempt them into sexual immorality, and I want you to tempt them into worshiping your God. 
idol worship. And when you do that, their God's going to turn on them and he's going to destroy them. Whoa. Look at Numbers 25, 1 to 3. While Israel was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women who invited them to the sacrifices to their gods. You see that? You see that? The people ate the sacrificial meal, bowed down before these gods, so Israel yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor, and the Lord's anger burned against them. Couldn't get them from the outside, so what did he do? Subtle deception to get them to compromise on the inside. And when they compromise, all of a sudden they began to face the anger of God, the anger of the Lord. We learn from Numbers 31, 16 that this was Balaam's teaching. They were the ones who followed Balaam's advice and enticed the Israelites to be unfaithful to the Lord in the Peor incident so that a plague struck the Lord's people. This was a teaching of compromise. Get the men of Israel to compromise their standards through adult idolatry and sexual immorality, and they're going to fall under the judgment of God. Our enemy is cunning. He knows from the outside he can't do anything to us as long as we're under the protective covering of God. We can't, he can't do anything to thwart God's promises, but he's cunning and he's deceptive. And if he can get us just to subtly begin to accept the ways of our culture and the ways of the world, if he can get us to begin to compromise God's standards are to begin a sin against God, to begin to, to worship the idols of our culture, to begin to engage in sexual immorality and other types of, of sin willingly, then, he will, then there's this compromise and we begin to fall under the judgment of God. Warning! Warning! If your enemy can't get you from the outside, he's coming with a sneak attack on the inside and that sneak attack is compromised. Paul later warned there were 23,000 that lost their lives and, and, and because they came out from under the protection of God by sinning against God through compromise. This is what Paul said about this situation, 1 Corinthians 10, 7 and 8. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to engage in pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. Oh, that's just the Old Testament. This is right here in the New Testament. There are, there are references to Balaam in the New Testament, the way of Balaam, the error of Balaam, the teaching of Balaam. Friends, do not despise the grace of the Lord. He is holy. The reference here of Pergamon is the people were taught that they could serve Christ and still participate in cultural idol worship by eating the meat that was sacrificed to these idols and also practicing sexual immorality. Jesus was addressing the compromise of this church. Although they did not renounce his name, they continued to participate in the practices that were contrary to his word. There's a second reference, the Nicolaitans. This is very similar teaching to persuade Christians. You know what? There's nothing wrong with conforming to the world's sinners. You don't have to go through all that persecution. You don't have to go all the, uh, you, you know, live, just, just, just have a little bit of the world. You can have a little bit of the world. You can kind of compromise. Let you on your guard a little bit. It's okay. You know, at the first sign of trouble or pain, you don't need pain. God doesn't want you to have pain. So just go ahead and compromise a little bit. It'll be okay. God will forgive you. There's a real danger today danger in the church today to compromise the standard of God's word and to conform to the ways of our culture. And although we don't have physical idols that we sacrifice and worship to, we do have cultural idols that we bow down to. Ask yourself, what is it that you sacrifice your time, your money, your family? 
What is it in order to have the wage you want? What kind of job is it that you sacrifice your family to? What kind of hobby or sport that you run after? You pour all kinds of money. You complain about tithing, but you have no problem pouring out all kinds of money to the hobby you want to do or to the sport or the whatever you want your kids to participate in. Go broke for that kind of stuff. Run yourself ragged in your schedule, sacrificing your very family, your marriage relationship, your kids, to run all over the place with all these travel leagues when one day your kids are never going to make it to the NBA, they're never going to make it to the NFL. Sorry. We wonder why. When the worship of God is not a priority and we bring all these other things in and we compromise all these other things, why later on we find that we have a generation that doesn't want to serve Jesus, that doesn't put him first in their life. The church and, and the worship of God and everything else is just a, a side thing. You know, as long as we have time and there's not a better offer that comes along. We have filled our lives with compromise. We have sacrificed for all kinds of things. And for what? For what? For what? For what? So that later on we can wake up and go, what did we do? Why did we do that? For our own lives that we see people destroy. Why? Because God is holy, friends, and we've got to understand we cannot displace the priority of the worship of the Lord and we cannot compromise in a world where sexual immorality is prevalent all over the place and somehow we find ways to be able to make it acceptable in the church. It's not. God is holy. The Lord taught the church in Pergamum, listen, folks, Houston, we have a problem. Pergamum, we have a problem. You've made a decision regarding compromise, and it has not pleased me, and it's worked your way into the church. And here's what he says, repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. What is repentance? It's a remorseful, regret regrettable attitude towards sin that leads us to renounce and reject sin's deception, embracing God's will instead. It's an inner U-turn. That's what repentance is. It's an inner U-turn. It's not just a simple, I'm sorry, and then I go do it again. It's, you know what? I've got to stop what I'm doing, that I'm persisting in a way that is against the will of God and against the standards of his word, and I've got to repent, and I've got to do something different. I can't continue down this path. But it's not just something outside. It's something that you, you feel on the inside. I have sinned against God. That's what David said. I have sinned against the Lord. Yes, did he commit adultery? Absolutely. Did he persist in disobedience and commit murder? Absolutely. But when it came time to repentance, he took responsibility, he took ownership, and he said, no, no, not again. I'm done. No, 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 no. No, no I'm not going to persist. I'm not going to continue to go this way. No. No, 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 no. And that's the same for us today. We've got to examine our relationship with the Lord. We've got to examine it. Are there idols in our lives, someone or something that we put ahead of God, that we sacrifice and we worship, and it takes priority in our lives over our relationship with the Lord? It's time to repent. For some of us, maybe we're compromising the standards of God's word, sexual immorality, greed, lust, lying, cheating, gossip, slander. 
on and on, perhaps flat-out rebellion against the Lord, persisting in our own ways. Friends, it's time to repent. The second edge of the sword, the first edge was encouragement, but the second edge, notice the sword of his mouth in combination with the word Paul says in Ephesians 6, 17, the sword of the Spirit is the word of God. Hebrews 4, 12 says, for the word of God uh, is, is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing the soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Listen, this is the second edge of the sword where Jesus comes to speak the word of truth to us and we've got to know what we're going to do with that are we going to allow the sword of God's mouth to either bring comfort and strength to us or even conviction leading to a life of healing or can be a word of judgment upon our lives if we persist in disobedience what side of the sword what side of the sword is the Lord using on you today Jesus encourages us whoever has ears to hear Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Friends, are you battling with compromise? Have you bought in the lie that because you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can willfully sin and do whatever you want and be saved from judgment? Has the enemy deceived you into compromise and following the ways of the world and this culture that are are dead set against what his word says? If so, it's time to repent. It's time to, to get right with the Lord. It's time to put an end to the compromise. It's time to take aggressive action and end the compromise in your life, whatever it may be. Now, I'm going to end with a controversial story. How many of you like that? I'm going to end with a con- and it's a controversial story that comes right out of God's Word, but it, 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 it talks about what is, what's needed sometimes to radically repent and radically get right with the Lord. All right? I'm just going to be real. All right? No, here it is. This is a story in Numbers 25. Same, this is the same situation, same incident with, with ba- Balaam got him to commit sexual immorality, worship other idols, and, and what happens is plague starts on the people. And, and so Moses and Aaron and the priests and Phinehas and Aaron's son, and, I mean, they, they, these leaders, some of these leaders of Israel, they are at the temple, and they are just crying out. They are weeping before the Lord by what is happening to Israel. They are weeping over the compromise that has takes place. They are just, they are calling out and they are weeping. And right in the midst of that, right in the midst of what is happening, there's a man who comes and in direct disobedience to the Lord, he brings this Moabite woman in and he begins to take her publicly before, puts her out there and then goes into his tent and, and then begins to have sex with her, begins to have sexual immorality with her. Right there in the sight. And Phineas took aggressive action. Now, this is where it gets a little, whoo. Numbers 25, 7 and 8. When Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw this, he left the assembly. He took a spear in his hand. He followed the Israelite into the tent. He drove the spear into both of them, right through the Israelite man and into the woman's stomach. And then the plague against Israelites was stopped. Now, you might be offended by that. You might be offended when you look at Phineas's actions. Shouldn't he have tried to reason with them? Shouldn't he have? No, there's no reasoning. Sometimes that's what we do with sin. We play around with our sin. We reason with it. We reason with God. All the while, just like Balaam, we're trying to persist in what God says we shouldn't be doing. And God says, no, no, no. Repentance is decisive action. And some of you need to take some decisive action. Phineas, in the physical, the physical of the Old Testament is often spiritual for what we ought to do in the New Testament. Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Am I telling you to go and maim yourself? Absolutely not. But I'm telling you that when it comes to sin and when it comes to compromise, we've got to take decisive action. 
Phineas took decisive action and the Lord said, that is a man who is passionate after me. That is somebody who is passionate after my word and after my holiness. And I'm going to tell you something, and it's not a popular message in the American church, but we've got to begin to take some decisive action to get back to holiness. We have compromised way too much. We have allowed the world's ways to creep into our lives, and we have compromised. And as a result of that, we have faced the judgment of God, and our nation is facing the judgment of God. And the church needs to repent. We need to repent. We need to take decisive action. Because if you are persisting in your sin, living in sexual immorality, if you are persisting in your sin and allowing other things to take priority of your worship, it is time to repent. We have got to get right with God. Because we will never see the kind of blessing that God desires because we keep stepping outside of His, uh, out of his covering. Friends, I'm telling you, if you're stuck in addiction, get to a place like Teen Challenge. Oh, that's radical. I mean, I, can't I just try one of these places? How many times have you tried that and failed? But I'll lose my family. I'll lose my job. You're losing them anyway. How long are you going to persist? How long are you going to persist? Some of you persisted in sexual immorality. Sexual immorality, here's what it is. Sex outside of marriage. Doesn't matter what it is. Pornography, you, 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 you're living together. I'm, I'm just being honest with you. You're having an adulterous affair. Oh, but I'm just online through Facebook messaging somebody I shouldn't from high school because my marriage isn't working out. God wants me to be happy. No, he doesn't. He wants you to be holy. To get your life right with God, maybe your marriage will get better. Oh, God wants me to be happy. That is a lie. That is a deception. God, hey, listen, I'm, I'm, God wants you to have joy. Hey, don't get me wrong, but you don't find joy in sin. You might find a temporary happiness, but then you face the consequences and all the problems, and you come outside of God's covering, and you have no joy. And then you get right with God. We've got to get right with the Lord. All right, I, you know, some, some of you need to end a friendship. There is somebody you know that every time you get around them, they keep, they keep leading you down the wrong path, doing things you, shouldn't, you know you shouldn't do. End that friendship. But I need to, I need to, I, 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 you know, I'm going to witness to them, and I'm going to influence them. No, you're not. No, you're not. No, you're not. End the friendship. End the friendship. Stay away. Stay away. You can be friendly, but don't get close. Because they have a power over you and the enemy is using them to take you away from God. End it. Enough, 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 enough. Jesus is calling his church to stop compromising and giving the enemy a foothold because he wants to destroy you. It's time to repent and return to Jesus. All right, I've preached too long. Come on, worship team. Let's bow our heads tonight. Let's bow our heads. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Come on. Come on, come on, let's get serious. Come on. Come on, I know we celebrate. I know we like, to, we like to hear and whoop and holler, but I just want the Holy Spirit right now to speak to your life. Because some of you whooping and hollering, you got to take a deep look. What are the areas that you've been compromising? What are the areas in your life where God is calling you to repentance? Where God is calling you to repentance? If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, perhaps Jesus is saying, listen, I want to save your soul. I want to save your soul. Come on. If you're struggling, maybe you've been in a compromise with pornography, you need, to, you need to repent. You need to find a trusted uh, uh, male or female, depending on who you are. If you're a man, find a trusted man, a mature believer, and open up. Open up. Confess that sin. Don't keep it a secret. Come on. 
Come on, if you, if, you are, if you are persisting in disobedience, you need to repent. It's time to repent. It's time to say, Jesus, Jesus, forgive us. Jesus, forgive us. It's time to take some radical action. Some of you, there's some decisions. You need to leave here right away and do what you need to do. You need to, you need to make some decisions today. Because Jesus is calling us to repent. He's calling His church to repent and to get right with Him. To stop looking the other way and stop thinking that He winks at sin. He doesn't. He doesn't look the other way. He's holy. We sang it today. You are holy. You are holy. And I want to invite right now, I want to invite, if you just want to spend some time in repentance before the Lord, I know it's hard, but you know, I've got to get up and walk in front of people. Take decisive action, friends. Are you serious? Are you serious? Come on, we as a church, we need to repent. We need to repent. We have allowed compromise to come in. Jesus, right now, Holy Spirit, I just pray you'd sweep across this place. Reveal to us areas, Lord, of disobedience. Areas, Father, where we have allowed compromise to come in. Oh, we declare that we are Christians and we, we say that we take our stand, but on the other side, we have allowed things in and we, and we have compromised. We have compromised in the language that we use. We have compromised in the actions that we take. And we've allowed sin to linger in our lives when you have said it's time to put that sin to death. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just pray right now, Holy Spirit, you're the one. Search our hearts, search our hearts, search our hearts. We come right now and we repent. We repent, oh God. We repent, oh God. Forgive us of our sin. Forgive us, oh God. Cleanse us, oh God. Empower us, God, to take the action that we need to take. Hallelujah. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened by God's Word. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, please visit PainesvilleAG.com.